Well, as I mentioned earlier, today is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Advent is a season of anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And uh, our, our Advent theme this year is Come, Lord Jesus. Just right out of uh, Revelation twenty two twenty that we're going to be memorizing together. Uh, the waiting and the longing and the anticipation of Advent leads up to Christmas uh, when we celebrate the first Advent of Jesus. And so part of what we're doing in this Advent season, part of the, the candles and the, uh, the, the focus on the, the promises of the Messiah, uh, part of what we're doing is we're, we're entering into the longing of the people of God in the past who were awaiting for the Messiah to come the first time. Uh, the people who were, who were longing and waiting for that, that first arrival of the Christ. We look back at the, the promises of Jesus' birth and, and the promises of his life, the promises that he would come to die and rise again. And we remember that long time of waiting that led up to Jesus' first arrival. But the season of Advent is also a time when we anticipate the second advent of Jesus. The hope of the people of God in the past is our hope today. We are still waiting for the complete fulfillment of the the promises of the Messiah and of his kingdom. And so as we prepare to celebrate the first arrival of Jesus, we are longing for the second advent of Jesus, the second arrival of the Messiah. And so we pray Come, Lord Jesus. That is the heart cry of Advent. Come, Lord Jesus. As we anticipate the arrival of Jesus, I can think of no better book to be in than the book of Revelation. Uh, This is a book that helps us live faithfully as we are longing for the arrival of the King. So today and next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to walk through the last chapter of Revelation And then after that, I'll preach a summary sermon of the whole book of Revelation, and that'll conclude our time through this book. Then on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, we'll spend some time in Luke 2, remembering that first arrival of Jesus. But we come today to the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible. Um, Beginning in uh, chapter 21, John has been recording a vision that Jesus gave him of the new heaven and the new earth. And John spent much of chapter 21 describing what he saw as the holy city, New Jerusalem, which is a symbol of the people of God, the church. And our passage this morning is the last part of John's description of the New Jerusalem. So with that, let's read Revelation 22, 1 through 5. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me? in honor of the reading of God's word. The Apostle John, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer 
will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. A couple of years ago, I needed to change a heating element in our water heater. And so I had to empty out the water that was in there. And so I hooked up a hose and I opened the drain valve and I waited a few seconds. But when I looked over at the other end of the hose, the water was just like barely trickling out. I I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, But a friend of mine was helping me and he pointed out that part of the hose was not uncoiled yet. And so I was basically trying to get the water to flow uphill. And he was like, Jeff, water flows downhill. I was like, oh yeah, gravity, right? Uh, So sure enough, he uncoiled the hose, and lo and behold, the water gushed out of the other end of the hose. As it turns out, if water is going to flow... The source of that water has to be elevated. And the same thing can be said of eternal life. If you want to receive eternal life, it will only come to you if the source of life is elevated. Life flows down from God on the throne. You and I do not have life in and of ourselves. And life will not come to us if we elevate ourselves above God. The only way you or I will experience eternal life is if God is elevated. The central truth I want us to see in this passage is that life flows from the God on the throne. Life flows from the God on the throne. This is an important feature of the new heaven and the new earth, and it's an important reality that we need to embrace as we seek to live today in light of that day when life will flow from God on the throne. So I want us to consider three responses to that central truth from this text. Life flows from the God on the throne, so number one, receive life from God. Receive life from God. John begins his description of the paradise that is the new Jerusalem in verses 1 and 2. Look at those verses again with me. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street. Of the city. John sees a river, clear, pure, flowing with refreshing water, delivering this 
refreshment and this pure, life-giving water throughout the city. And this picture of this river of the water of life takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10, which tells us that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The new Jerusalem will be a paradise like the Garden of Eden, but better. This paradise will never be lost. The Old Testament prophets wrote about this future paradise. We, we saw one example just last week in Psalm 46 and verse 4, which says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That verse anticipates the river coming from the throne of God in the new Jerusalem, the city of God. Another example of uh, the Old Testament prophets anticipating this future paradise is Ezekiel 47, in which Ezekiel saw a vision of the, the end times temple, the final temple. And he saw, he saw water flowing out of the temple. Well, John, here in Revelation 22, is also seeing that final temple. And we saw in Revelation 21 and verse 22 that the temple is actually the Lord God himself and Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who are present throughout the whole city. So water flows from the temple. The temple is God the Father and God the Son. So it makes sense then that in Revelation 22, John sees the river of the water of life flowing from the throne from the place where God the Father and Jesus the Messiah reign. The river is a picture of the eternal, abundant life that is found in God. In God himself. Jesus said to his Father in John 17, 3, This is eternal life. Here's what it is. Here, this is what it means that they know you. Eternal life is knowing God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life is found at the throne of God. In verse 2, John goes on to describe more about this life that is uh, available and in abundance and uh, that, 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 that invigorates the new Jerusalem. In verse, uh, again, in verse 2, he says, Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Uh, so in addition to this life-giving river and the, the water that's pure and, and flowing from the throne, John also sees a tree of life providing its provision, providing life-giving fruit. And it never stops. Every month there's a fruit. Every month it is giving more. It is providing life to all who would eat of it. Now, in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was in the middle and to eat of that tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, to eat of that was to receive life. 
To eat of that tree was to keep on living. And so to have access to the tree of life was to be able to live forever. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, he removed them from the garden. So they could no longer access the tree of life. Humans were cut off from the life-giving presence of God. And God cursed this old creation, this old world. And he promised Adam that he would die and return to the dust that he was made from. But from the beginning, from before the beginning, God has had a plan to bring his life-giving presence back to humanity to bring humans back to the tree of life one stage of this plan was how he dwelt with israel in the old testament temple he brought down his life-giving presence into the holy of holies in the temple it's no coincidence that the temple was modeled after the garden of eden the first place that God dwelt on earth. Uh, that temple of Israel had carvings in it of fruit and flowers and trees. It was a replica of the Garden of Eden and an anticipation of the Garden City to come. In that temple was also the golden lampstand, modeled after the Tree of Life, with seven branches, each having a cup like an almond blossom. God, God's presence dwelt in a garden temple with Israel, just like his presence had dwelt in a garden temple in Eden, and his presence will dwell in a garden temple in the New Jerusalem. But of course, then with the arrival of Jesus, God once again brought his presence to humanity in a new way. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He dwelt with us. God became a man. Uh, that promised offspring of the woman that we read about in Genesis 3.15 at the beginning of the service. That promised offspring came to open up the way back into the tree of life in a new garden. And that mission to open up the way to the tree of life led Jesus to a garden. And like the ancient serpent entered the garden of Eden to tempt the first Adam, Satan entered Judas, who entered the Garden of Gethsemane, to betray the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And this led Jesus ultimately to hang on a tree of death. And on that tree of death, the promised offspring of the woman reversed the curse by becoming a curse for us. So when the criminal next to him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The offspring of the woman came to open up the way back to the tree of life. And now here in Revelation 22, John sees the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan. God will bring the fullness of his presence to a new earth. The river of life will be flowing from his throne. The tree of life will bring healing to people from all nations. And, and then look also at the beginning of verse 3. 
says, no longer will there be anything accursed. This old world, cursed by God because of sin, will be no more on that day. There will be a new world, free from sin, free from the curse of God. All who dwell in that paradise will receive the healing of the tree of life. All who dwell in that paradise will eat of the tree of life and never die. They will experience the refreshment and the flourishing that come from knowing God and receiving life from Him for all of eternity. The fullness of the life described here will not be experienced until the new heavens and the new earth. But you can begin to experience that life today. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. John 7, and look at verses 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Those who come to Christ in faith receive eternal life. And look at what he says in verse 39. Look at what John writes. Now this, this promise of life, that out of a believer's heart would flow rivers of living water, this he said about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, Those who come to Christ, those who come and drink, those who come in faith, receive eternal, abundant, ever-flowing life. And the life that will flow from God's throne in the new Jerusalem flows from the Holy Spirit in the heart of every Christian today. You don't have to wait till Jesus returns to experience the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The life that will sustain the new creation for all of eternity is the life that is available today in God, the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. This life, this this eternal, ever-flowing life that we'll see in the new heavens and the new earth, this life can be received according to Jesus, by anyone who thirsts. And this life can be received by anyone who knows they need life from God. Now, if you don't think you need life, this living water is not for you. You might think, I'm already living my best life. Maybe... You don't want someone else to be elevated above you. And if if you don't thirst for the life that comes from God, you won't receive the life of God. 
But if you know how much you need life from God, if you know that you thirst for water that never runs dry, if you know that you don't have life in and of yourself, that you need life from God, come to Jesus. Come. If you thirst for abundant life, the abundant life that comes from the God who is elevated on the throne of heaven, if that is what you thirst for, then come to Jesus. Turn away from living for yourself. Turn away from elevating yourself. Instead, turn to Jesus and receive the eternal life that he offers to you as a gift of love. Receive it through faith. Receive it as his gift of grace. The life that begins to flow today will never stop flowing for all of eternity. And if you have trusted in Jesus, don't forget where your life comes from. Don't try to live the Christian life on your own. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. If you are in Christ, there is a river of life available to you. So depend on this life. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Don't live in your own strength. Go to God in prayer and ask Him for His power. Don't live by what you feel or what you think, depending on your own understanding. Go to God's Word. Depend on Him. Follow His voice in Scripture. And don't live life alone. Go to your church receive the help and encouragement that flow from Christ to you through the members of his body. Depend on God. Remember where your life comes from. Depend on him for life. Life flows from the God on the throne. So receive life from God. That's the first response. Let's consider a second response to the truth that life flows from the God on the throne, and that is to bring worship to God. Bring worship to God. Let's turn back with me to Revelation 22. Let's turn our attention to verses 3 and 4. John sees the centerpiece of the new Jerusalem in these verses. Revelation 22, uh, look at the, the middle of verse 3 there. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. At the center of the new Jerusalem will be the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus said back in Revelation 3.21 that he sat down with his father on his throne because he conquered. And this Christmas season we celebrate how Jesus came to conquer. He was born, and he lived, and he died on the cross to defeat sin, to conquer sin. And because of that, God highly exalted him. Jesus rose, he ascended to heaven, and he sat down at the Father's right hand. 
And Jesus will return to establish the fullness of his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. And he will reign from his Father's throne for all of eternity. The center of the new creation is a throne. The place where the king reigns. The inhabitants of the new Jerusalem in these verses, we're told, are the servants of God. Look at this description. God's servants will get the privilege of seeing his face. No veil. No barrier. No limitations. They will have unrestricted access to the presence of God. This isn't a quick hello in a VIP line. It's not a handshake while you're getting an autograph. It's not five minutes once a week. Unrestricted access to the presence of God. They will see his glory up close and personal. They will see his glory in its fullness. They will behold the greatness of God. All he is for all of eternity. His name will be on their foreheads. Earlier in Revelation, John saw visions in which those who belong to the world had the mark of the beast on their foreheads. Those who belong to the lamb had the seal of God on their foreheads. It's a symbol of who belongs to whom. And what we see in this is that God's servants belong to him. They are his forever. They will be his people. He will be with them as their God. What will the servants of God do in the new Jerusalem? They will worship. Worship. This is the life of the servants of God and the new creation for eternity. Worship. Now, there's a few different words that are translated worship uh, from Greek. One common word for worship and the New Testament, has the sense of bowing down before someone. So, for example, that's what the wise men did when they finally found the Christ child. Uh, it's what John, in Revelation, saw the elders and the living creatures doing around the throne. Uh, but the word for worship here is not that word. The word for worship here in Revelation 22 is a different word that can also be translated serve. This worship word... Is a, is a priestly word. It's the idea of performing religious duties in temple worship. And this fits with how Revelation describes the church as a kingdom and priests. It's the same word that was used back in Revelation 7.15 to describe the countless multitude. We were told there that they are before the throne of God and serve him or worship him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence and the new creation the servants will serve the god on the throne and, and i think understanding the, the sense of that word worship helps to clarify what life in the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like uh, Otto and Louise Kitchens are back today, and uh, it's so great. I'm so grateful that the Lord has uh, given you the privilege of being able to, to gather with us uh, in person again. And we were just talking about heaven 
and for, for Christians, uh, we, we have a lot of thoughts about heaven. We look forward to eternal life. We think about what heaven is going to be like, what, what the new heaven and new earth are going to be like. Eternity is a long time. And so we like to think, what is that going to be like? We think about loved ones who uh, know Christ and have gone before us. We think, what, what are they experiencing? And uh, so with that comes a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, curiosity. And, you know, some people have, have kind of bought into the idea that, that the only thing we're going to be doing in the new heaven and in the new creation is just the, just the bowing down part of worship. As if we're just only ever going to be singing and playing harps in a never-ending church service. Now, the, the problem is that doesn't really reflect the Bible's vision of the new creation. Now, don't get me wrong, I think we're going to be doing plenty of singing in the new heaven and the new earth. I think we're going to be doing a whole lot of bowing down in the new heaven and the new earth. But there's so much more than that. Uh, we are going to do so much more than bowing down. We're going to do so much more than singing. We're going to do that, and we are going to live lives of service to this God. We're going to work. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know, I haven't done sound so good anymore. But remember, work was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Work is not a result of the curse. Nothing accursed is in the New Jerusalem, and work is there. The New Jerusalem is portrayed as a garden to cultivate work. It's portrayed as a city with all the hustle and bustle of urban life. Uh, it's portrayed as a temple also because in this garden and in this city, all of our activity in this new Jerusalem will be our service of worship to the God on the throne. Every aspect of life is an offering of worship to the God on the throne. We will serve him worship him for all of eternity but this service of worship to the god on the throne starts now paul says in romans 12 1 i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship or service, similar word. We may not live in the New Jerusalem temple yet, but if you are a Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you today. The church is called a royal priesthood today. And as priests, as a temple, we are to offer ourselves Everything we are, everything we do, we are to offer to God as a living sacrifice. We're to offer him our, our very lives, even in this world. Our whole life today is to be our service of worship to the God on the throne. So the question then is, are you living your life in worship of God? We are always living our lives in worship of someone or something. Worship is one of those things that God didn't just make us to do. He made us worshiping. There's no off button 
on our worship as humans. The question then is, who are you worshiping? Who am I worshiping? Who are we serving in your school, in your work? Are you seeking to serve yourself so that people will honor you for your achievements? Are you worshiping at the altar of money, sacrificing whatever you need to in order to make as much as you can? Or are you worshiping King Jesus, seeking to bring honor to him through your humility and diligence and faith? In your family, are are you living in service of entertainment and amusement? putting vacations and hobbies on the throne of your household? Are you worshiping at the altar of busyness, finding worth and success in how many activities you're involved in? Or are you worshiping the God on the throne, making his priorities your priorities, including slowing down enough to focus on him and rest in him? During this Christmas season, are you worshiping Christmas, the festivities, the traditions? Are you living in service of the pressure to make this season special? Or are you simply worshiping Christ, seeking to honor him? And seeking to point others to him this Christmas season. What we see in Revelation 22 is that every aspect of life in the new creation will be an act of service to God alone. Life flows from the God on the throne. So may we, even today, bring worship to God. Finally, third response, prepare to reign with God. Prepare to reign with God. John concludes his description of the vision of the new Jerusalem in verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. John has already described how uh, in this vision of the new Jerusalem, there was no night. Uh, this, This old world that we live in today, this old world is filled with darkness, not just literal darkness, but spiritual darkness. And what we see from the beginning of Revelation is that Jesus has placed his churches, like ours, in this dark world as lampstands to shine his light to the dark world around us. But in the new world, the evil darkness of this world will be no more. You're not going to need a lamp when the glory of God is filling the earth. The glory of God will shine 
His glory will shine so brightly that there's no need for a lamp, no need for sun. That's the light that will fill the new creation. And in this bright new world, the servants of King Jesus will reign with the king forever and ever. He will share his reign. Jesus told the church in Laodicea back in Revelation 3.21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. John heard the heavenly beings in God's throne room sing to Jesus in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Uh, So we saw in that idea of of, of serving God that the the priests part of that right he's made us priests to god to serve in this new temple worship for all of eternity but now in verse 5 we're seeing the kingdom part of this promise that jesus has made his people a kingdom and we who belong to jesus will reign with the king on a new earth for all of eternity but what does that mean it sounds great we're gonna reign with him but practically again eternity is a long time right practically what is that going to look like and i will just tell you this has been a question that i have had to wrestle with as i've been preaching through revelation multiple times now we've seen i mean back as far back as revelation 5 like i just said multiple times now we've seen this idea that christians will reign with jesus in his kingdom in the new creation and and i'll just be honest i've struggled to conceive in my mind what exactly that will mean practically speaking for us to reign with christ i mean are are we like gonna have subjects to rule over that doesn't really make sense uh because this is a promise to all believers so it's not like like the really good christians are going to reign over the average christians like no like everybody is reigning with christ so what okay so what does that mean well let me just show you one aspect. There's way more we, I think, could say about this from Scripture. Let me just show you one aspect of what it will mean to reign with Christ that uh, hit me like a two-by-four to the forehead uh, this week, okay? Turn with me to Matthew 20. As it turns out, I am not the first person to wrestle with this issue. And conveniently, the king who will reign on the throne of heaven for all of eternity has actually already come to this old earth. It was about 2,000 years ago. And he came and showed up to teach us what the kingdom of God was going to be like. And as it turns out, my confusion is not unlike the confusion of Jesus' first disciples, including none other than the author of Revelation, the Apostle John, one of the sons of Zebedee. Look at verses 20 through 28 
of Matthew 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. (laughs) Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My problem was the same problem that James and John and their mother had. When I thought about reigning, I was thinking like a Gentile. I thought about subjects, lording and exercising authority over subjects. But what does Jesus say reigning with him in the kingdom is going to be like? Serving others. So then, if we want to prepare to reign with God, what would it look like for us to prepare to reign with God? Serve people. And and as I think about this, I have to tell you, I never cease to be encouraged by just how servant-hearted the members of our church are. I am regularly impressed and personally challenged by the servanthood that I get to witness as a pastor. One of the privileges that not a lot of people talk about of being a pastor, you get a front row seat at the grace of God at work through the service of people. I I see you taking time That you could be spending on yourself, but instead choosing to go help your brother or sister in Christ. I see you giving up money and resources in order to demonstrate love in practical ways. I see you so diligent in meeting others' needs that you anticipate needs that the person doesn't even realize that they have. 
I see you sacrificing your comfort and convenience to make someone else's life easier. And as I think of all of the servants in our church, you know what I see? Royalty. Because royalty is not seen in luxurious living or in lording power over others. Royalty is seen and those who reflect the heart of Christ. Royalty is seen, and those who reflect the king who came to wash the feet of his subjects. Royalty is seen in reflecting the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve. He is the Lord who came not to use us, but to give his life as a ransom for us. When you reflect the service of the king, you are preparing to reign with God. What we see in Revelation 22 is that life flows from the God on the throne. And if that's true, if that's going to be true then, and if that's true today, then we need to respond to that truth. If life is really coming from this God, then we ought to receive this life. Come to Jesus and drink the life that flows from the God on the throne. Uh, but also, if life is flowing from the God on the throne, the one who is exalted and elevated, who is reigning forever, then we ought to bring worship to this God. He, is, he alone is worthy of our every thought and action. And if it's true that life flows from God on the throne and that he will bring us to that throne, then we ought to prepare today to reign with that God by serving others. How do you need to respond to the word of God today? How do you need to respond to the truth that life flows from the God on the throne? Do you need to respond in faith and humility, admitting your need for God? Do you need to respond in repentance, giving up false objects of worship in order to turn and worship God alone? You need to respond in generosity, serving someone in need. Whatever the case may be, however you need to respond, let's go to the Lord in prayer and respond to him in song. Father, you are the God who will reign on the throne. You are the God who reigns on the throne of heaven today with Jesus Christ at your right hand. Lord, life comes from your throne. Life comes from you, the exalted one, the elevated one. It flows down to us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can receive your abundant and eternal life. I thank you 
that there are hearts in this room that are thirsty and weary and dry and in need of your life and you promise to give it to all who would come to Jesus and drink. Lord, I pray that those who are here today who are thirsty, who, who are desperately in need of your life, they would receive it through faith in Christ, that they would experience out of their hearts a river of living water. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, who aren't living in the joy of, of worshiping you with every aspect of their life, Lord. I, I pray that they would give up lesser objects of worship and find joy in keeping you elevated above all. And Lord, I, I just, I thank you for the servants that you allow me to observe in our church. And, and Lord, I just ask for more. I ask for more for me, uh, that you would teach me the joy of lowering myself. Teach me the joy of humbling myself, serving others. And Lord, I pray that we would see the value in this, that the value is not in praise today. The value is not in opportunity today. The value is that, Lord, we get to reign with Christ for all of eternity. I pray that you would keep that vision of the new heaven and new earth before us as we seek to bring honor and glory to you, to the God on the throne who gives life in your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together.